Welcome back, everybody, to another fine episode of Driving the Deal, our podcast uh, on the deal market in the U.S. Normally, I'm joined by my wonderful co-host, Chris Werling, but uh, as the world is opening up again, Chris thought this would be an excellent time to go on a much-needed family vacation. He is off driving sled dogs somewhere in the still-frozen north. I have, as a wonderful co-host who step in today, is Holly Stokes, who is a senior analyst in the in the Farragut Square DC office and is one of our physician practice management experts. Welcome aboard, Holly. Thanks for having me, Brian. Our special guest today is Justin Santa Cruz, who is, as many of you know, the Chief Development Officer at USI, which is an integrated multi-specialty eye care platform headquartered in Sarasota, Florida, backed by Pamlico Capital, and is also one of the uh, leading eye care platforms in the Southeast U.S. with over 50 offices and five ambulatory surgery centers across four states. Many of you in this deal market know that Justin is a, is a very experienced executive. He was president of Metawood Management and also uh, headed up uh, M&A at Lencare and also worked at Surgery Partners and originally had banking experience at Raymond James. Welcome to Driving the Deal. Thank you, Ryan. It's great to be here with you and Holly. All right. I hate to ask this as the opening question, <laughs> but, you know, we're, we're kind of at the end of COVID, but we'll start there again. So... From USI's perspective, are there any operational challenges that you guys had to make in the COVID period uh, that you've decided that you're going to continue, or is everything kind of back to sort of 2019? Yeah, and I'm just chuckling a little bit because I wish we would have recorded, you know, our earlier conversation, you know, around COVID, um, which was much more colorful. But yeah, you know, it's it's funny that we're here and you know at the end of the first quarter in 2022, and there's still kind of some discussion around COVID because you know in, in the PPM and physician practice market, surgery center market, there still is kind of a lingering impact just as there is to the broader economy and the rest of healthcare. So kind of looking back, yes, there were clear, you know, operational changes at USI top level with our chief medical officer made and reviewed. There are a lot of changes that our, our local practice partners implemented as well. And I think a lot of those are just like a lot of other groups around the country. So I think they primarily centered around number one, clinical protocols. You know, how do we deal with this new incidence of disease you know, that we don't want to keep spreading around, but yet how do we care for our patients in the way they, they're asking us to care for them? So that was kind of number one. And I'm not a clinician, so probably not the best person to talk about that. But number two, you know, very visibly, I think a lot of group like ours implemented technology in a new way. And, you know, there's already a lot of technology and a lot of systems that we have in our day to day, but things like getting folks, you know, checked in remotely, whether it's from their homes, their cars, speeding up the time basically that in our four walls. So I saw a number of number of pieces of technology, whether it was infrared scanners, you know, to take temperature kind of at a distance in the waiting room to those kind of remote check-in capabilities. And I think a lot of clinical tech providers, business probably have ramped up considerably over the last two years and in, in their offerings, you know, like folks like Freesia, for example, you know, at the front end of intake. So yeah, those things have been implemented. And I think it's a silver lining, right, that we're all better off for that. And it's number one, create a better uh, patient experience. And it's allowed us to continue to serve all the patients that come to our practices every day and, and not really have a backlog so to speak. Demand has, you know, obviously it's reached a point where it rocketed back, but, you know, now that people have kind of recovered from the, you know, the sort of early pandemic lull, uh, where, where's sort of demand gone from there? I mean, is it kind of leveled out and, and building steadily or, you know, is it stabilized or is it starting to kind of ramp up to new levels? 
Yeah, that's a great question. I think, you know, initially folks didn't really know where the bottom was, you know, talking way back in the spring of 2020. And then they found the bottom. And then they, the next question was like, well, how, what does the ramp up look like, right? How much pent up demand is there? Will it come back? How quickly? And I think, you know, looking back, what we can see now across, you know, many geographies and many practices, our own partners and, and others is that, yes, demand did come back, obviously, you know, because the patient volume is there. Patients do want their eye care. They don't want, you know, no one really wants to put off their procedures for more than X amount of time. And so they do want to get taken care of. And so I think by and large, a lot of, a lot of practices saw kind of a big, almost bolus of activity, pent up demand, kind of that, that summer into late summer of 2020. And kind of going into winter, depending where you are, obviously in, in the Southeast and Florida, it's a little more seasonal. I think, you know, no surprise, we saw a lot of snowbirds stay longer uh, that year and in 2021, and they want to get their, their care and their procedures done. And to be honest, you know, we've all experienced even more aggressive out-migration of the Northeastern states, right? As you're flipping through your news sources, right? And it's, it's real, right? So I can kind of tell you <laughs> from being the person that's kind of driving up and down, you know, 75 or, or 95. You know, the, the growth is real in Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia. We're blessed that those are the five states, you know, we have a presence in right now. And so the demand is certainly there. Our biggest challenge, which is a first class challenge, is to have enough high quality, you know, medical oriented clinicians to take care of these patients so that we're not booking out, you know, more than a month or two. That's our biggest challenge as, as kind of, you know, a group that's mandated with supporting our, our practice partners. Yeah, that's really interesting. And you're getting to this already, I can tell. But when you think about your current operational challenges and opportunities, how do you characterize them in the ophthalmology space? I would say, um, honestly, this is probably not a huge surprise to most folks because uh, it's kind of characteristic of, you know, of our economy and you know, the labor market. It's, it's staffing, right? Whether you're a restaurant, whether you're uh, some other small business, or whether you're an optometry or an ophthalmology practice, small or large uh, helps if, if you have some scale, helps if you have a partner like us for sure. But it's getting enough, you know, quality folks in our practices. So whether that's you know, medical assistant, surgical techs, ophthalmology techs, folks who work in optometry practices, and then of course, clinicians, you know, there's a, there's a challenge uh, up and down the spectrum. And so one of the things that we've done recently in the last maybe six or nine months is we've really built out our kind of human resources, talent acquisition, talent kind of growth function at, at USI to support all of our practices. So we have a phenomenal chief human resources officer in Shelby Thompson, who's worked at a number of very large, notable companies, great personality. And so she's been building out her team and a lot of just new programs to kind of make sure that we're attracting the right kind of people, that we're incentivizing them correctly, that they stay, that they have a runway for a long, fruitful career with us. And, and as far as our clinicians go, there's a lot of things that we're doing there to make sure that the incentives are there and that they have a long career and can really get the benefits of being employed by a group like ours. That tracks a lot with what we're hearing across PPM when you're thinking about both labor in terms of clinician and in terms of just that front staff. Outside of that human resource point, what else do you look for when you're assessing tuck-ins or acquisitions? Is, is it important what sort of business mix, cataracts, exams, et cetera, when you're reviewing an opportunity? Yeah, I think you know some of that is probably similar to other practice groups and especially across other specialties, not just ophthalmology. But I think you know our group is a little bit different on, on the spectrum of groups in that 
we were truly founded by a physician, you know, Dr. David Shoemaker, who's a little bit of a, a visionary, certainly as a physician and, and an ophthalmologist for many reasons. But there's a lot of filters that we kind of look through, right, that, you know, he kind of created for us, right, and in thinking about it. And, you know, how do we think about partners for the long term? Right. This is not a financial play at USI at all. Uh, we have a capital partner uh, because we need the capital to be able to do all the good things you know, that we offer our, our practice partners, whether it's you know, new equipment, new surgery centers, new clinics, additional providers, additional staff. So we simply need the capital. But we are a truly physician-founded and led organization, and that's, that's been a great blessing. So I think number one is kind of in a clinical reputation, you know, as a filter for our partners, I would say number two is the philosophy of working in an integrated manner. You know, in, in eye care, you have this dynamic where you have opticians helping in the optical, helping patients get fitted for the frames, uh, contact lenses that they need best. You have optometrists, they're kind of the tip of the spear, providing all the primary care, sometimes diagnostic care and medical care as well, uh, but they don't do surgery. Right. So then you have our ophthalmologists who their highest best use is doing specialty surgery. So not everyone practices in a fully integrated manner, but there are a lot of practices that they understand that philosophy. They espouse it. You can have folks on both sides that optometrists and ophthalmologists, and you just hope that they understand that integrated care is kind of the best way forward for all of us. You know, there's, we're all experiencing reimbursement cuts of some type of some type from unfortunately Medicare. But yet, you know, still have the stat that 10,000 baby boomers turn Medicare eligible at age 65 every day. So the demand is out there. We're not graduating enough clinicians to meet that demand. So we all have to be a little more efficient and work together. So that's kind of another filter. I know that's probably a long-winded answer. No, but that's, it makes a lot of sense when yeah. you're thinking about how do you combat reimbursement challenges where can you pick up efficiency and protect your margins? Yeah. And I think so with, with those two kind of filters as a starting point, you know, we like to have all the specialties, right? Because patients need that type of specialty care, whether it's cataract, fractive care, glaucoma, diseases of the cornea and uh, retina. Those are just a few, you know, you have neuro, you have pediatrics as well. Practice partners may, may have some of that, but not all of that. And that's kind of where we come in. Uh, Dr. Shoemaker likes to say, you know, over 30 years, he's kind of, you know, banged his head against the wall and tried this and tried that um, at, at his practice, Center for Sight in Sarasota, Florida. And so he has a playbook, you know, or we've developed this playbook and we go to our partners and say, here are some of the plays, you know, here are some of the things we can do to help you and, you know, pick them. It's not a cookie cutter approach. We know there's different dynamics in different markets and every practice has pain points that are maybe specific to them. So... It's kind of just figuring out, you know, in collaboration with the administrator and the, the local physician partners, what would they like to do to help grow their practice and improve patient care for, for the patients in their market? So let's talk about the overall market for a couple of minutes. From our count, there's more than 30 active ophthalmology PE platforms. But if you look at it nationwide, the specialty is still uh, very fragmented. It's a great question for you, Justin, from the standpoint of a development officer. Like, what are you seeing in terms of kind of the increased role of private equity in, in ophthalmology? And, you know, what are you seeing in terms of large or regional chains? Like, how are they impacting the, the local markets? That's a great question. There are, as you noted, a lot of investor-backed platforms out there. Many of them, I think, are kind of regional. Some have kind of been able to expand from their, their initial regional hubs. Others have kind of stayed where they are and, and maybe try to you know, grow density or maybe, maybe they've had some issues. I think we're approaching the end of you know, Vision 1.0 and entering kind of Vision 2.0 right now. You know, we're going to see a lot of those regional groups kind of transact and find their next partner. 
maybe kind of do a sideways merger, gain strength, maybe pick up some competencies or, or a management team and, and some strength, you know, where they're missing that and get stronger together. I think the market's uh, fairly competitive and has been for a few years. It's been driving up, you know, valuations of these practices, which is a nice thing for, for physicians. I think for a group like ours that kind of came in a couple years after some of the initial groups, you know, I think when we started in mid-2019, there's probably still two dozen groups out there, you know, by our count. And so, you know, we were really challenged with the question, you know, well, what, what's going to make us different, right? And why would a physician or a successful group of physicians that are doing great, you know, have invested in their practice for many years, blood, sweat, and tears, personal guaranteed debt, or maybe enjoying the fruits of their labor, why would they want to partner with us? So it really challenged us to come up with a kind of a, a set of core competencies that, that we decided as, as a management team we would offer to our partners. A lot of that, no surprise, is just putting our clinician hat on and more so having the heavy involvement of our founder and our CEO, Dr. David Shoemaker. And now we're blessed to have the involvement of folks like Dr. Kerry Solomon, been so involved in industry and past president of ASCRS and, and other societies. So, and it's, I'm blessed as a chief development officer that it's not just me uh, meeting with, with physicians. I understand the physicians actually don't want to meet with me. And so I'm just kind of the, the messenger boy. And I'm lucky that although Dr. Shoemaker, Dr. Solomon, many of our other physician leaders are, are very busy in the clinic, clinics and operating rooms, uh, they join me on a lot of dinners where they, they've been up since six in the morning and they're at dinner till, you know, 10 at night. But I think that really matters. And so that's been something that distinguishes us. A lot of things that I won't get into, but kind of the, the financial aspects of our partnership are very straightforward. And I think that's something that physicians also like. So it's, it's been amazing to see the response that we've had, especially kind of over the last year or two as, as our group has become more well-known. It's kind of like a little domino game. The more quality practices that decide to join our partnership, folks take notice. They understand that a lot of these groups and physicians have taken the time, sometimes months, and in a couple of cases, a year or two, to kind of evaluate this decision to partner with USI. They, in many cases, know some of the same consultants, you know, that that advised these physicians and decided to join our partnership. A lot of thought, time, and energy has, has gone behind this. We're just grateful that, that so many physicians have placed their, their trust in us, take their practice to the next level, and, and protect their legacy. So when you're thinking about development, are there supply-demand imbalances that you're seeing specifically in certain markets or regions? Yeah, you know, that's, that's a great question. Um, I think that's kind of true of a lot of areas or sectors within healthcare and certainly that I've been a part of. And yeah, you know, in, in certain metro markets, you'll see almost like an oversupply of practices, maybe because people want to just live in that area. Maybe it's just a high dense density market, highly populated, and it could be still very fragmented. So you see that. And I think there is still a lot of room left to consolidate and for kind of large center of excellence type practices in those markets to kind of bring in some of those solo providers into the fold and help them provide, you know, maybe a little better care to their patients or relieve some of that administrative burden. And then on the flip side, yeah, there are still rural rural areas out there. You see from time to time, there are some of these large center of excellence practices that have done a phenomenal job, even having locations and operations in multiple states I've seen, right? And so these physician partnerships have done an amazing job on their own and their administrative staff in taking care of patients in, in what's truly a rural area, but having, you know, very sophisticated operations, you know, beautiful buildings. So I've seen a little bit of a mix. Um, I think by and large, literally no matter what state you go into, or what market you're in, there's real room for this and there's real value proposition that a physician-led partnership such as ours brings to the table. And we haven't even talked about just pure demographics, right? 
the same baby boomer stat I mentioned before, well, in the wealth management industry, it's well known. All these folks are turning over, you know, baby boomer business owners, entrepreneurs are kind of turning over and retiring as we speak and will for, you know, next decade or two. Don't have to talk about the millennials because I, I think I'm technically maybe one of them or on the edge of that. But a lot of folks, you know, a lot of the, the second generation, they A, may not want to be physicians or they B, they may not want to run the practice or have the responsibility that the elder physicians had. That's a true challenge. You know, we go back to talking about challenges. That's something that we've actually uh, spent a lot of time with at USI is making sure we develop a real program with real benefits to younger physicians. If they thought that they were maybe on a partner track at a small local practice, but maybe their senior partners would like to transact and monetize the value that they've built over you know, 20, 30 years. You know, well, what does this mean for them? On the spectrum of opportunities, you probably have everything from a solo MD practice in a rural market to a big academic medical center kind of physician group in an urban market. Right. And so I think we want to position ourselves as really the best option for, for young physicians, ophthalmologists and optometrists to build a career. And so you can say that, but there's a lot that goes into, you know, providing a lot of different programs for those physicians over the length of their career. So a couple of those things are financial incentive. Obviously, you have to compensate them well. We, we know how to do that, but it goes a little further. So how do they have equity or, or skin in the game? They don't feel like they're just an employee. And if maybe they thought they were going to be a partner in a local practice, can they be a partner in USI? The short answer is yes. And there's a couple of ways to do that. We spend a lot of time, you know, thinking about how do we create these programs for our associates, uh, for also for junior partners of our partner practices. And there's a lot of other programs that were honestly early innings. So whether that's residency programs, which we started for optometrists, I could do a whole podcast on that. We're very excited about centralized research, real research that we're in five states now. We have a lady who's phenomenal, who's a master's in clinical research. She's an MD ophthalmologist herself. So she's overseeing that initiative, but the speed to which we can bring T-site studies and fill studies for you know, our pharma and other partners can be very exciting uh, as we continue to grow. So there's just a lot of, a lot of things. Those are just two, but a lot of things that physicians care about, right? That, that clinicians care about, you know, that's what the management team at USI is charged with is how do we grow those programs and make it obvious that, you know, we're the place for young physicians to be and they can be compensated well, have access to patients, have access to the latest technology, access to financial incentives, that would be great. Absolutely. And that goes back to your earlier point on labor being such an issue and challenge that you'd have to overcome. And how do you work around it outside of just compensation and thinking about the environment? So I guess the big go forward question is, what's your outlook for M&A activity in ophthalmology this year? Well, that's a great question. Uh, I will tell you that in general, We've been blessed because I feel like it is a domino effect. The more high quality providers and practices that join us with, with great reputations, the more their friends and colleagues take notice and want to speak with us and want to speak with first our, our physicians themselves, right? You know, as I said, I'm kind of the center boy and I kind of explain the process and explain our philosophy and how we were founded. But there's no better way to understand or learn more about USI than to talk to one of our physician partners that has joined us. So we've got a lot of wind behind our sails, so to speak. 
And the first quarter has been very busy. We're working on a number of kind of active deals, I would say, in different markets. We're excited that folks outside of our coastal southeastern states have taken an interest. So I would say kind of you know Midwest, Mid-South, Texas area. And I think that'll be the next stage for us is to kind of continue our geographic expansion. I think at this point, it's interesting, right? Because the market is competitive. And I think there's a number of groups like ours that are doing a, a phenomenal job in the market for their physician partners. I like to think that we're a little more physician friendly or centric than some others. But I think there's lots of practices that are still out there and all these all these practices and physicians have different timelines, right? So and that's going back to the fact that the market is fragmented, right? And even though there's, you know, you mentioned possibly 30 groups out there, platforms, well, there's a lot of physician practices out there. And not all those folks are going to want to partner, you know, this year or next year. Everyone's got a different timeline you know, time frame when it makes sense for them and their partners. And so I think that's provided us with the runway. Obviously, know our current pipeline. I'm very excited about it this year. It's also interesting because when you find that really nice practice that can serve as kind of a hub, so to speak, you know, maybe in a new geography, it's it's so much fun because I get to be involved with the market building and helping those partners kind of grow how they probably always, you know, hope they, they could grow, but maybe we're stuck at this level. And so we get to help them take them to the next level. And that spurs a whole bunch of new discussions with these smaller practices solo ophthalmologist, solo optometrist. We get to discuss, is there potential to help them with the new surgery center? That's really what I get excited about is come, go into new markets and we can really help partner practices realize their, their full dreams, you know, speak with their friends and colleagues and, and see if it makes sense for them to join our partnership. Well, that brings us to the end. Thanks, Justin. Ophthalmology continues to be a hot space in a hot PPM market. And we're always grateful to get your perspective on things. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. All right. That brings us to the end of this episode of Driving the Deal. Join us again. We've got some other episodes in the can coming up. We'll be focusing on the uh, the continuing litigation and impacts of the No Surprises Act. And we'll also be visiting all of our thoughts and impressions from our conference with McDermott in Nashville for the PPM ASC conference. Thank you all. I look forward to you all listening again. This material is for general information purposes only and should not be construed as legal advice or any other advice on any specific facts or circumstances. No one should act or refrain from acting based upon any information herein without seeking professional legal advice. McDermott, Will & Emery makes no warranties, representations, or claims of any kind concerning the content herein. McDermott and the contributing presenters or authors expressly disclaim all liability to any person in respect of consequences of anything done or not done in reliance upon the use of contents included herein. Copyright 2022, McDermott, Will & Emery. All rights reserved. Any use of these materials, including reproduction, modification, distribution, or republication, without the prior written consent of McDermott is strictly prohibited. This may be considered attorney advertising. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome.